Hello and welcome to Safer Stronger Kids, the podcast. I'm Caroline Ellen. I'm a social worker and parenting coach. My goal in my business and in this podcast is to help you raise kind, resilient young people. And it's to walk alongside you on your journey towards safer, stronger parenting. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Safer Stronger Kids, the podcast. I am really excited today to have a good friend, Jen Hui, here to talk to us about... Now, this is a long... The topic today is a long one. So (laughs) the topic that we decided to talk about today is the three things that Jen wishes every parent would know in order to preserve their children's childhood. So if we're thinking about, you know, I've seen a lot lately on the internet about like hashtag save our kids and um, protecting childhood and that is what we're here to talk about today. How do we actually, what can every parent do? What does every parent need to know in order to make sure that their children actually can stay in the stage of childhood and not get thrown into adolescence and adulthood much too early because every child this is the berry street worker coming out of me is the berry street slogan is every child deserves a good childhood (laughs) um, that is just absolutely spot on so jen is a passionate mother of three kids and works really hard to keep her own three children safe but she is not only Um, focusing on her own three children. She has now branched out and has been doing a significant amount of volunteer work, all connected to online safety. So she's a parent awareness advocate for the Youth Wellbeing Project and working very closely with Liz Walker. So she's also the founder of the Not My Kid Facebook group, which is dedicated to sharing resources and talking about all of the risks that our children are facing online right now. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jen, and for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. It's a pleasure to be here, Caroline. Thanks for inviting me. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that introduction? No, you've done perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So when you think about, I asked you to think about your top three tips that you wish every parent would know. Do you want to dive straight in? What was your number one tip? that sprang to mind that every parent needs to know to help their kids stay safe and actually have a childhood? Um, The very first thing that came to mind was that not my kid is a myth. Um, And I mean, it's a myth we'd all love to cling to, but I mean, well, (laughs) it's, um, (laughs) it's, we'd all love to believe that it, that, that it could never be our child, but it can be. Um, as you know, Caroline, I did come forward publicly with um, my own story with, uh, with my daughter who was um, exposed to a predator on a child's game when she was nine. Um, now that was seven years ago. Um, she was more than happy for me to now share that story. Um, but I guess what, I re- what, what it really taught me was I had things in place at home. I had the parental controls. I had um, restrictions in terms of time and we had a iMac in the kitchen. Um, but it was when she left the house, at someone else's house, that this happened. And so what I, um, I really want to encourage parents to just bear in mind that whatever rules they have at home, when their child leaves the home, they may or may not come across other children whose parents don't have that, those rules. And therefore, um, we need to be having some pretty big and regular conversations with our children. Um, so we have talks at home. I have a seven-year-old as well um, about tricky people. I say tricky and I say people because that includes children, other children. And he knows mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, that touches into a lot um, into the work that you do. Um, in terms of um, just, you know, body safety, education and early warning signs. And, and um, we talk extensively, be ab- extensively about that. Um, we talk about safe and unsafe secrets that really the only safe secret is maybe a birthday present. Um, 
he and he'll ask strange little questions um you know like why did why does mary not have a big tummy so yes i have to go into explaining why you don't see mary with a big tummy you know? <laughs> <laughs> they ask all sorts of little questions and if you've already engaged in this type of conversation as you say age appropriately um it's so much easier to answer yeah absolutely it all just starts to flow together doesn't it and so you were saying about not my kid is a myth. And I think you're mm. spot on there. And it's for so many parents, whenever we start talking about online safety, their brain does go to, well, that it wouldn't happen to my kid, not in my house, or she wouldn't search for that, or she wouldn't do that. They wouldn't watch that. Um, they just won't see it. It just won't happen. Not my kid. And so your key message there is really you can put all the parental controls and everything in your own house, but this problem is now so big that kids, that every child, if this is not something that discriminates, this is every child is at risk of coming across an online predator or pornography when they're out That's and about, right. when they're at school, when they're at someone else's house, et cetera. Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, when um, my daughter eventually was able to disclose what had happened, um, she was really taken aback because I, she thought I, for some reason, she thought I'd be cross, but I comforted her. And the one thing that I said to her was, you were curious and we need to remember that about children. Mm -hmm. They are curious. Absolutely. They're not walking around with little, you know, um, post-it notes remembering, oh, mommy said I mustn't do that. And mommy said I mustn't yeah. do that. They, they are impulsive. They they just do things yeah that's um, right that's the, that's childhood isn't it like they're curious that's right they're resourceful yeah. and they're impulsive yeah. <laughs> i think that's yes. that's the resourceful and curious together and impulsive sums it up doesn't it because our kids they want to know about the world they want to learn and we have taught them to go to google and to search things and so they have questions and they want answers to their questions and they Google it and then we're surprised when they come across things that are not appropriate for them. And we really, we want to become the people that they come to with those questions. Absolutely. Um, I just listened to, I mentioned to you listening to the director of um, Social Dilemma or one of them um, being interviewed today. And one of the things he said is, why are children not going to their parents and asking questions? Why are we educating them that Google is the place to find all the answers? <laughs> That's correct. That's so right, you know, and that's why with these conversations with my son, um, you know, I'm just hoping that he will ask the questions, but that is not going to remove his curiosity. Yeah, that's right. So, and so you know, you've, you've, you've had all of those conversations with him, you've started all of those conversations, but at the end of the day, the supervision is the number one thing, isn't it? It's the parental controls, knowing what he's being with him when he's online and that's you know, right. Just being there, being there alongside him. Absolutely. Him safe. The Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation said in their report um, in February that all primary age children need to be supervised when mm. online and and when I say supervised he has a little bit of time every so often on YouTube kids to do some origami I'm next to him I'm doing my own thing but I'm right next to him yeah um, so that's really what they mean by supervised <laughs> yeah right um, next to yeah exactly supervision is essential yeah. um, they can get into trouble very quickly absolutely was there anything else you wanted to say about the not my kid myth it's a very big subject so we i'm happy to move <laughs> yeah. on because otherwise <laughs> <laughs> we could stay on one, that one forever <laughs> go on and on and on <laughs> all right let's move on to what was your second tip so the first tip is to sum it up the first tip is the whole idea of not my kid is a myth this is not something that discriminates we need to realize no. that it is every child is at risk that's right and coming so across what, what coming I, to harm exactly and so really what i would i know for my own child i can't necessarily prevent something happening but i think that we can do two things i mean we can have lots and lots of conversations but and as you say we have to be very um i guess uh 
very conscious of the supervision and boundaries we have and explain why. Um, but also, I think it's important to also prepare ourselves that if something does happen, how are we going to react? Mm. Because I know that in the same report that they did, um, ACE, um, they actually said that 80% of parents reported that they would um, react in a very negative way if something, if their child reported something to them. So I yeah. think in the background, if we can just eliminate the not my kid mantra <laughs> yeah. um, and just do what we can, supervise, um, conversation, but in the background, just tell ourselves, look, if something does happen, we're going to take a deep breath. <laughs> yes, and we're not going to be shocked. We're going to respond calmly. We're going to be... No, yes. we, we will be internally, but we will respond yes, calmly. that's right. And then if we do come out with shock, then we need to repair that and we can turn, we can take a deep breath and we can say, I'm sorry, I, I got a shock then when you first told me that, but I want you to know and then go from there. You know, we need to... I think that yeah. is such an important point because... The, our response to our kids in that moment, if they are being brave and they are telling us, they need to hear that we are walking alongside them and that they're not in trouble. You know, they're not, That's and we right. have to remember, yes. they're not a bad kid. They haven't made, they haven't, they're not no. a bad kid. They haven't no. done something drastically, broken the rules, all of these things. We're not going to come down on them like a ton of bricks. They've just been kids. They've been curious. They've been resourceful or whatever it is. They've been impulsive. Exactly. Or yeah. also they've been tricked. If it's in the case of an online predator, we have to remember how much time and effort and energy predators put into tricking our children. So it's not a case of that That's we thought right. we could trust our kid and now they've done something wrong. That's not it at all. They've been no. kids and they've come across someone who was able to completely outplay them. And I want to say, as a parent who's been in that position, your heart drops to the ground. Mm. Inside you, every part of you wants to cry and scream. Um, but in my particular instance, I remained completely composed until I went to bed that night and <laughs> cried in my pillow. But really, yeah. you know, years later, my daughter said, you know, were you upset by mommy? And I said, Sweetheart, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was devastated. I still struggle with it. But um, at that moment, what she needed was to feel safe. Yeah. And me being composed and comforting her what was providing her with exactly what she needed at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having said that, I've also had a response with my older son, which wasn't, as you say, textbook. <laughs> and I have had to go back and say, look, I'm really sorry. I've had a fright. <laughs> so... <laughs> And fair enough. We've all been there. All right, let's move on to your second tip. Yes, my second tip is a little harder, I think, for everyone to digest, but it's a, yeah. it, it, it's a lot. Um, it does. It's a lot of the work I do at the moment with Liz, and that is simply that pornography is everywhere. Um, and so, for our little children, uh, the platform that concerns me the most is YouTube. Um, for Liz, I did some research on a number of um, social media platforms and YouTube was, I, I think it took me about 10 seconds to find porn on YouTube. Um, so what did you I have myself... to search to find porn on YouTube? Like how do our kids find porn on YouTube? Do they search something? Is it recommended to them? Is it like just how? It can, it can be recommended if, you know, if you were to, um, I mean, I happened to write, I think I wrote sex, I wrote boob, bum, you know, I, I went, I pretended yeah. I was that age. Um, and then I went as far as I said, just typing porn. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there it's right there, triple X, you know, there's, you know, we have to also bear in mind that um, on, on YouTube, uh, maybe not so much YouTube, but on Google, for example, um, even, they can misspell something. They may be mm. wanting to look for something else. And Google may be like, oh, is this what you mean? And yep. they can land upon it really, very quickly. Pornhub will always be at the top. <laughs> of yeah. Those Google, right? Um, but YouTube, um, yeah, I, I've done various searches. And we just have to think about the words they could hear in the playground and type those in. And yeah. even if it's not the first, so just do scroll down the search results. Because <laughs> I think sometimes we type it in and look at it and go, oh, it's totally fine. Scroll down, <laughs> keep scrolling. Mm. It is there. It is there. Um, as you said, pop-ups, suggestions. Um, 
sometimes it can be within the video. So they can be watching something, whatever it is, a gaming video, and it can be within that gaming video. Um, and of course, there are settings that you could put on, on YouTube, but um, from many parents don't have them to start. So we should be aware yeah. of that, but also... So many parents um, don't, they haven't enabled the content restrictions on YouTube. No, no. And, it, and it's not very robust, um, yeah. those restrictions. Um, TikTok, I, I am, I'm, I'll be honest, in our home, that's an 18 plus app, but I know there are a lot of young children on TikTok and that is um, definitely full of very inappropriate content. And when I'm talking about porn, I'm not necessarily talking about um, the most hardcore porn that we can imagine mm. in our minds. But there's a lot of pornographic content, which yep. if our children are young, uh, they become um, accustomed to viewing. Mm, Desensitised. That just leads, desense, exactly. <laughs> I forgot that word. Yep. Um, and then this, this is a slippery slope for them. Um, think about music videos. Um, it, it is actually everywhere around us. And what just, I think that for parents, that's why I go back to the conversation because even when that video, music video WAP came out, we won't go into mm. you know, all the definition of the, of the, of the video, of, the, of that word, but um, I had to go and have a chat to my daughter and say, so what do you think about this? And she's you know, 16 and a half. Now, mm. there were a lot of kids who were younger than that watching it and listening yeah. to it. Um, and so, I, yeah, that, that, that for me is a very, very big concern. That's probably one of the things that concerns me the most at the moment. Um, is, is exposure to pornography because it has been shown to be um, a grooming tool for predators. Absolutely. Um, and so I know from, you know, my work, working with kids who've experienced sexual abuse, that part of the grooming process is um, or can be to expose a child to pornography. You're normalising sexual activity and that makes the child more likely to comply to what happens next. So... Exactly. On mass, if we're having children or just accepting children being <laughs> exposed to pornography, um, and we, or and even if it's not hardcore pornographic content, as you're saying, which it easily mm. can be, we've got huge numbers of children it being can, exposed yeah. to hardcore pornographic content. But at the other end of the scale, where a parent might look at it and think, "Oh, well, they won't even know what that means, or they don't understand what the what it's inferring, or." or implying or whatever and they you know they um it just goes straight over their heads or something like that but we've got to see this as a scale don't we of desensitizing a child to and also perhaps desensitizing their parents to access exposure to this kind of content and that gradually they will become exposed to more heavily sexualized yeah, that's right stuff. yeah and they won't think yes, of it no, as abnormal no. or out of the blue because they've been being exposed to it the whole time no, they won't. And look, the majority, they, I'd say um, these days, they, I think it's over 80% of porn um, is, is very violent and very graphic. Mm. So, um, you know, if, if they do stumble upon it, it can be very, very upsetting and confusing. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, where I get very concerned is um, that it's also, they also would be feeling quite ashamed. So it would be hard to actually maybe come forward to a parent if the parent isn't yeah. very confident and comfortable having the conversation um then they could be sitting with it quietly i know um i think it was a week ago holly ann martin from safe for kids um said that she had a therapist contact her to say look i, I can't get to the bottom of why this eight-year-old is not sleeping and she said have you thought of asking them if um this child has seen pictures of naked people on the computer. And that's exactly what had happened. And this little girl had been exposed to mm. graphic pornography and your children don't just come up and say, this is what's happened. Um, we have to be very careful how we address it, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I want to touch on just for a moment too, if people are sort of, you know, cause this is, this is a topic that you and I talk about all of the time. <laughs> so for us, it's very yeah. familiar, but I want to stop on it. If for anyone who is, you know, really having this conversation for the first time and realizing the gravity of this problem around our kids being exposed to porn and just hearing for the first time that it could be on YouTube and all of that stuff, I want to touch on really clearly how kids can wind up coming across it, which is really, they, 
could be exposed to porn hub, like full-on porn through an older sibling or older kids showing them, kids, other kids at sleepovers mm-hmm. showing them. That's a prolific problem at the moment. Um, they can also become exposed to it because they search for it themselves. You know, they hear the word sex or porn and they want to know what it means, so they Google it or they look it up on YouTube or Instagram or wherever else they happen to be and when they think of it. Um, But also they can become exposed to it through um, clips on YouTube, for instance, that have been sabotaged. So it might be that they're watching a video of Elsa and you're hearing Elsa sing from the other room, but what you don't realise is they're watching a clip that has been manipulated to include pornographic content. Um, yeah, so there's, I've, I've gone on to Pornhub yeah. and I've, I've gone on to Pornhub and looked at all the children's ga- all the children's things, Elsa, My Little Pony. They've got everything, all, all of that in porn. So it doesn't even matter that the child is watching Elsa um, and then so, like an adult video comes on. No, no, no. Suddenly Elsa's the person yeah, who's doing Yeah, Elsa's the one who's been animated to be yeah. doing inappropriate things. Yeah, That's right. So, yeah. So the child is just watching. Yeah. That, and that's right. It's Elsa. I don't see anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and so really, yeah, I think that's this, we have to be. The scale of this problem is that it, it is, when you say pornography is everywhere, you truly mean that, that it's a huge percentage, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but a huge percentage of the internet's overall content is pornographic. Yes, that's right. And um, it should be no surprise to us that it's finding ways to filter in to our children's lives and it's leaving them with significant psychological repercussions. Exactly, psychological. um, I'll just let you know what ACE said in February, and that is that Mm. at the moment 40% of children between the ages of four and seven have their own device and 16% of those are not monitored, but it jumps eight to 11, 71% of their own device and 40%. So nearly half of those children who still in primary school have no monitoring whatsoever on their device. Yeah. Um, from the age of 12 to 15, that becomes um, 73% are not monitored. Uh, nearly a hundred percent have their own device. So when we think about how, um, easy it is for them to stumble on this. If, if we're not doing anything to somehow put in prevention, it's very, it, it's not really surprising that the average age is now around eight. Yeah, absolutely. It's not surprising at it's all. Exposure. And I no. think that I wonder of those eight year olds, I th- wonder how many are finding it a through exposure from older kids and other kids, but also because eight in my experience is for so many kids when they become curious about sex when they want answers and that, you know, when they start asking for for more information. And I just wonder how many of them are just going, oh, I'll just Google it because that's easier than having an awkward conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, yeah, that you're absolutely right. Spot on. Um, So so, pornography is everywhere. Yeah. It's a really difficult subject. And, but one that we have to be talking about because it's, in my opinion, I know that you agree, it's a public health crisis. Online safety in general is a public health crisis, but the impact of pornography is as well. And adults are so uncomfortable talking about pornography that they don't want to engage in the topic. It scares us away. And so we therefore, we just, we don't know things like the fact that porn today is not the porn, it's not the same as the porn of previous generations. It's, it's violent, it's hardcore, and, it's everywhere. It's, um, yeah, it's Elsa singing. I, you know, <laughs> it's My Little Pony, like how, you know? Oh, look, so. it's very confronting. You're, you're right. And I think just to um, maybe try to offer some reassurance, when um, it's a bit like the sex talk, I've all I've said to my son is, you know, there are people on the internet who are doing, you know, who are naked, who are, doing things that look like sex but they're hurting each other and that is called porn now all mm. he hears is it's a definition now for yeah. us of course we know porn we know we can visualize almost yes, what they're saying but, he can't, but for them he they're hearing it no exactly yeah. so he he just hears me once again giving him a definition for something yeah and that's, that's enough you know that, that that if i see that i can talk to mum about it and it's not something i meant to see yeah yeah that's right Exactly. Absolutely. Or if it's confused, like I said, it can be confusing or scary. So yeah. you can always talk to mummy. So, yeah. 
Okay, so tip number two was pornography is everywhere. So we need to be alert, we need to be supervising, we need to be close by and we need to be having conversations. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> tip number three, what's your third tip I think for this today? for me is the most, the, this is the most crucial bit for me. I really, mm. this, is, this is really why my son has no screens. <laughs> um, yeah. And that is imagination. So I really truly believe that, um, like we've discussed, you know, imagination in a child leads to curiosity, which can lead yeah. them into trouble, but it can also, you know, lead to innovation, lead them to, to, you know, I often say to my little boy, you know, you're going to be an incredible inventor one day. Um, mm. It just opens up their minds. Um, and I just want to give you a very crystal example. Um, if, for example, let's take Harry Potter. If we read Harry Potter, and we don't, we, we, we've never seen the movie. We allow our, our minds to imagine the story. We imagine the char characters, what they look like. We, we, our imagination opens up. If we watch the movie and then we watch, we read the book, we've in a sense robbed our minds of that opportunity. And I think that that's what is concerning me more and more is that more and more children are, I think, falsely, Get, and I think sometimes parents also falsely believe that children are getting their creativity through the screen. Mm. Whereas in actual fact, I believe the screen is rob robbing them of that. Um, and at the end of the day, I just think the children need to be left to be imaginative, to be bored. To be bored. And, and therefore what I see is that when children are allowed to be bored, they engage their imagination and they create. They create something exactly. from scratch. They build with their hands. They, it's, it's a whole body and mind experience for them. And so boredom yeah. is an amazing opportunity for, for imagination and for that creativity to blossom. Um, and I think you're right. You mentioned in there that parents will think, because I hear this a lot, that parents will say, but you should see what they create on their iPad, the movies they make or the things they build or what they can do in Minecraft. And, you know, we see it as unleashing their creativity. But are they really or are they actually consuming content created by someone else and they are just manipulating it, which is not the same thing as creating truly from imagination? Would you agree with that? I agree with you 100% because I can see why a parent would think that. Um, and I just want to make it clear to everybody, I'm not anti the internet, but I really do <laughs> firmly believe that screens don't have a place um, in, in a young child's life. What would happen if you took Minecraft away from them? That, that would be my question. Are they, are they able to then go out into the garden and create something there? Can they... When we, that's really what I, it, how transferable is that creativity that they're doing? Mm. Or do they need Minecraft to do it, right? To be creative. Yes. So yeah, I want, I want to see the child who can go from place to place to place to place and use their imagination and entertain themselves or entertain each other. Yeah, absolutely. Not being reliant on the screen. Yeah. And I shared with you earlier that I'm currently reading a book called Glow Kids and I can't remember the name of the author, but it's Glow Kids and it's well worth anyone who's listening. If you want to dive into this topic more, I'm going to recommend that book because it does an amazing job of talking and exploring about how stimulating these games are and how intensely they are designed to be addictive and how intensely they release dopamine and adrenaline in a way that ultimately is toxic to our children's brain. So dopamine is, the, you know, important for our children feeling rewarded and motivated, but video games and things like Minecraft and Roblox do such an amazing job of releasing dopamine that it actually, the child becomes addicted to that release and it's harder for their brain to create that dopamine release in real life because real life isn't as stimulating as their online world and so that's, that's why right. we've got children becoming gravitating towards these games because they are gravitating towards the pool of that dopamine and that adrenaline 
it's activating, it's actually activating our children's survival responses and then they're staying in that elevated state for longer periods of times, time, which their bodies are not designed to do. And they can't readjust. They can't then adjust back to regular life and relax and create and use their, engage their imaginations in the way they would have had they not been exposed to those video games in the first place. So... Yes, I'm I on board with you, you Jen, really... in that, you know, if I wound back the clock even a year, I believed that, you know, we could, our kids could enjoy these games and they could enjoy their iPads and a bit of YouTube and all of that um, without having massive, you know, without having significant effects. But now my belief is that we've come so far down this road. These games and these and devices are so advanced and they're, addictive nature is so powerful that we actually just need to start turning away from them altogether and that is a difficult message to communicate and to share and we don't people don't want to agree because it's hard to hear it um it is hard to hear that we need to start at the end of the day Mm. i agree we um i think they are um they absorb their time and I don't want to sound harsh, but they're great babysitters. Um, it does they take are, a lot more absolutely. work. <laughs> it does take a lot more work if you decide not to have screens. Um, I think the other thing is what we do need to bear in mind, and I'm speaking from a place having a seven-year-old and older teens. Um, if we say we're saying we're going to give our child, you know, an hour of this or an hour of this when they're seven or eight, None of us can really predict what that child's going to look like at 15 or 16 or mm. 13 and 14. And, and, and if you've done something at that age, they're going, children want to, they want to be acknowledged for their, I guess, growth, maturity, whatever, and they will be demanding a lot more by the time they're 14 or 15. Um, yeah. And I know in the work, you know, in, my, in my husband's practice, psychiatric practice, we are seeing an increasing number of boys who just don't want to do anything else but play video games. But play video games, um, yeah. And yes, yes. So is it, um, is it had... really like a, from your husband, so your husband is a psychiatrist, from his perspective, is it is it like a failure to launch? Is that what we call it, a failure to launch into That's... adulthood because they are yes. stuck in this gaming? And as we talked about, so they're being in their survival responses, those have been really elevated while they've been gaming. They're addicted to this dopamine and this adrenaline release. Nothing else is as interesting in the world as the video game because nothing else can release, can activate their brain in that way, their brain and their body. And so they get stuck just doing it and they don't want to do anything else. And so they just can't launch into adulthood as a result. That's exactly his description of failure to launch. And... um, you know, we have had cases where parents have had to call the police because the child's got violent because parents have got fed up and said that's enough. Mm-hmm. But, so it's not only it's only not only children who are older teens, but it's also younger teens, um, and it's very confronting. We're now going to be giving a questionnaire out when we see um, when he sees teenagers to tr- really try to understand quite how big this problem is, but. Um, I think when we, we, if your audience is a lot, is, is mostly primary aged mm. um, or parents of children in primary age, it's very important to bear that in mind. The fact that we've got beautiful little children who are listening to our rules and these are not necessarily the children who, um, they won't necessarily be the same child when they're in their early teens. And, yes. so, and I, I firmly do not believe that any child, any child is mature enough to handle this. Mm. I just don't believe it. Well, with our brains only fully, fully developing in our early to mid twenties, I honestly yep. don't. Yes. I don't I think, believe any child is mature enough. Yeah. And I think with how powerful devices and games and social media, with, with how powerful and all consuming they have been become, I think that has crept up on us. You know, they've, they have, evolved so much facebook has evolved so much since it first began instagram has evolved so much since it first began the video games have evolved so much since they first began and they have all done so without any regulation because they have moved so quickly the regulations have not caught up with them and so our children have been thrown into the mix and we have expected our kids brains 
to keep up and for them to be able to regulate it. And it, it is so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, there is no way that we would put a 12-year-old behind the wheel of a car and put them on the highway and tell them the rules and tell them about how to drive the car and then expect that they would manage to do so safely. We, we wouldn't do it yeah. because we know that even if they're a great listener and they always follow the rules and they're really trustworthy, we would still know but their brain's just not ready. You know, they're not ready to make those decisions. They're not ready to understand how fast to drive the car or to make those judgment calls or to know how to pull over. If They're just not ready yet to navigate it. So we don't do it because we know that it wouldn't be safe. And I think that our understanding of the online world needs to shift into that same sphere of realising our kids' bodies and brains aren't ready we're asking them to navigate something huge and and they can't. They're just not there yet. They will be. And it's not necessarily, the, you know, I think we think, oh, well, if they start to manage it when they're younger, it will be easier for them when they're older. But we don't do that. We don't put the 12-year-old behind the wheel of a car thinking they'll be a better driver when they're 16 or 18 because where they're just not ready and it wouldn't be safe. So the online world really is that's, the same. That's right. That's That's right. I'm not sure... Why? Um, I mean, I know that that whole 13 plus recommendation, people often think that, that that's like the legal age, a child's allowed to have certain mm. platforms, but it's actually all to do with data sharing. None of it's to do with, with safety of, of the app. And I think that we have to bear in mind, a lot of parents give their children uh, mobile phones um, last year of primary school, early high school. It's probably the very worst time to do that. You know, mm. testosterones are going crazy, you know, the yeah. hormonal all their hormones are kicking in but also adolescents want to pull away from us we suddenly I remember being struck by how suddenly what I said was <laughs> of the least importance yeah. you know, your friends suddenly are the ones who know everything <laughs> and yeah. now unfortunately we've got so competing with social media and the internet and it's like no no that's not right <laughs> yeah I've even right. I even had my son who did um, family and community studies saying to me no well, that's that's not right mum that's not what we learned yeah. <laughs> okay then <laughs> so I think we forget they really want to own their own voice have their independence and so it's a very bad time to be giving them such a, an adult device well, such an adult device that hooks them in so deliberately and so powerully in a way that, that, that it's hard enough for us to manage our devices exactly. um, and not exactly. be looking at them when we shouldn't be so how do we expect our kids to do that now, I've mentioned it to you and I will mention to anyone listening, but Childhood 2.0, it's free. You just have to Google mm. it. I think it's on YouTube or platforms. That is such a worthwhile documentary to watch. It really is. I so think, it's called um, Childhood you know, 2.0. You can get it on YouTube. And what is it really about? It's really about the impact of social media on our children today. Um, I suppose they touch on they touch on the hard subjects. They interview younger children, they interview teenagers, they interview parents, um, professionals. But they really are touching on the effect, especially the mental health ramifications of gaming and social media, mm. which is something we really can't afford to ignore. Um, no. They do touch on the worst side of that, um, but they just gave it was a very balanced documentary to watch you didn't leave it thinking I think as a parent if your children are younger you will be very clear on where you want to go where you stand with them as they, yeah as yeah where you yeah as you as they get older you, you'll know okay no 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 I'm not going to be doing this yeah I think they do and, um uh illustrated well and I think for parents who might be listening who have older kids who are on devices a lot and who have been online a lot and who are now listening thinking oh my god um message I want to give is that of course of course you've had them on devices a lot of course they've been online a lot because everybody mm. and it's because we didn't know we didn't know right. before the ramifications of this it's been an experiment but now the results of the experiment are becoming clear and we need to change yes. course as a result of that um, the technology has just moved yeah, I, so much faster than any of the research or it's, we've just been outpaced by it and it has created a, a public health, a quiet, quietly growing public health crisis that we now need to become aware of. But I think also that there is hope in it, which mm. is that 
we've had other public health, health crises before as well, and we have been able to turn the tide. So in terms of, you know, think about smoking and attitude towards smoking several generations ago and yeah. how hard it was to change behaviour around that. But we've gotten there. You know, far fewer kids yes. nowadays take up smoking than in previous generations. Seatbelts is another area where we were able to make massive changes, even though people resisted it at first. Even fluoride, you know, cleaning teeth on a regular basis and putting yeah. fluoride in the drinking water. <laughs> you know, all of those things have had pushback. But then as the benefits have become known, we've gotten there. And I think this is just another one of those. And hopefully we can do it yes. quickly and before any more damage has to happen. And forgive yourself. I'm the parent with the teenagers. Mm. You know, I'm, I also, you know, especially my son, my goodness, you know, he's on all the platforms and um, and so I get it. I also feel if only I could rewind the clock and know what I know now. Mm. Um, and my advice to parents, if you do have teenagers and the conversations at this, at that stage become, I say, I'd say the most important because if they know you're talking about sexting and they know you're talking about yeah you know, porn, cyberbullying, etc. they're more likely to come and say, hey, guess what, so-and-so, this is happening um, yeah, to so-and-so. I've, I've had that experience. But, but and so give yourself. Your teens, because... would you, yeah, absolutely. Give yourself some compassion because mm. this, has been, this is a global phenomenon, not just us or not just the people who are listening. Yeah. So um, It's been a roller coaster. It's been a roller coaster, absolutely. And so... With your teenagers, would you watch Childhood 2.0 with them? Like, would that be a somewhere that you could start with having some conversations with them to help them understand the impact? Like, I haven't watched Childhood 2.0, so at what age could a teenager watch, watch I'd it? say you could watch it. I'd say you could watch it. I haven't watched it with mine. My son's nearly 19 and my daughter, we talk about this stuff so often uh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I'd say that if it is a new subject... Um, I'd probably prepare, prepare them a bit and say, hey, I really would love to watch this with you yeah. because I need to learn a little bit more about it. Maybe you can give me a bit of your insight because they are the ones on it. Yeah, yeah. Just say, look, I'm just curious what you think, you know. Yeah. And if your child's open to that, it would be really great. They do touch on all of the challenges. They do touch on um, mental health, as I said. They do touch on suicide. They do touch on porn and predators. Um, but I think that uh, certainly teenagers could sit and watch it. Yeah. And I would advise primary well, age school. So. Okay. And I have also not watched The Social Dilemma. And I think that I am avoiding it because I know that I need to watch it. I know that it will be like really powerful and I'm almost <laughs> avoiding it because I'm like, do I want to know? <laughs> so um, I think it's too late for all of us. <laughs> so The Social Dilemma, teenagers can watch that too, can't they? Oh, yes, yes. And I think the one message that I took from it, um, which I think probably a lot of people did, was um, basically, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, that's why I think that whole, I think that horse is bolted. And so, but that is, so if the, if, if we're not paying for the product, then we are the product. And I think in relation to our kids, that brings it home, doesn't it? That if they're on something, if they're gaming, if they're on social media, they are the product. And are we willing right. for them to be used in that way? Because they are being used for something. That's right. And I heard a really um, interesting podcast. I think it was with Leonie Smith. Um, and they touched on smartwatches, which I know are becoming a lot more popular. But they also been touched on the right data. Now. So we have Fitbit who now, Google owns Fitbit. And so basically whatever we, whatever smart device or watch we give our child, I've also got one. <laughs> um, um, we're in a sense giving our child's data away in a sense without their permission from mm. a very young age. By the time they're 18, um, you know, if, if we carry on the way we are, um, I, I have no idea what they do with all the data, but, you know, they'll know a lot about our children. Mm. Um, and so I think that's something we should also be bearing in mind is, is yeah. all that. How comfortable do we feel with just that? Just freely giving out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the three tips that from your perspective, with all the work that you have been doing, 
with your role as a parent awareness advocate for Youth Wellbeing Project, your three tips, if we sum them up, was that the whole idea of not my kid is a myth. We all need to have our eyes open. We need to keep our eyes on the ball and know that this is a problem that doesn't discriminate. Um, That's right. Number two was around realising that pornography really is everywhere. It's harmful. And if our kids don't go looking for it, it will find them still. And we, need, right, to, yeah. we need to be supervising them first and foremost, but also then backing that up with conversations as well. And then your third tip is around imagination and that if we want to encourage our children to have an imagination, to be curious and creative, then the number one way to do that is actually to get rid of the screens and to let them go out That's old right. school, playing out in the garden. They don't need fancy yeah. devices to encourage their imagination. The opposite is true. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You've summed that and up the, beautifully. <laughs> those three things, those are your top three, your top three tips for preserving our children's childhoods. That's right. Those are the three things that I have in the back of my mind all the time with my seven-year-old. Yeah. So, so Jenny, if people want to find out more about your work and um, engage with you more, can you talk about where or how they can do that? So Youth Wellbeing Project, that we have a website and there's also yep. a Facebook page. I'm more involved in the, it's um, basically um, part of Youth Wellbeing Project, but it really is more focused on helping parents um, navigate this whole area of pornography with their children and porn resilient kids. Okay. They, we have our own Facebook page and website. Um, yep. And then there's the Not My Kid Facebook group, which I think you could just look at, look for on yep. Facebook. Okay. Um, so, so Not My Kid is the Facebook group. Ways. Porn Resilient yeah. Kids, the Facebook page. And so Not My Kid, is that the Facebook group for porn resilient kids? A kind of we're working together of, yes we kind of yeah, merged working together, together. okay yeah. so it's a collaboration yeah that's right so this porn resilient kids facebook page and website the not my kid facebook group and then also the youth wellbeing project facebook page project. and website youth wellbeing project yes, yes. and then yeah exactly now youth wellbeing projects more about you know education and, and curriculum etc yeah um and porn resilient kids we um we really are focusing on trying to help parents in terms yep, of how they can have these conversations and provide resource, resources exactly. Yep. And okay. then the group is a closed group, um, deliberately really, because you can yep. get a lot of trolls. In yeah, space. in this, yeah, so, on these topics. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to share those things today, Jen. Is there anything extra that you wanted to say? No, thank you for having me. It's a big conversation. We could be two <laughs> hours, but <laughs> I think we've done well so far. All right. Thank you so much, Jen. And um, we will be in touch really soon. Thank you so much. Okay. My pleasure. Thanks again for joining me for Safer Stronger Kids, the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, check out my website, saferstrongerkids.com. Follow me on Facebook, Caroline Allen, Safer Stronger Kids, and Instagram at Safer Stronger. Can't wait to talk to you again next time.